Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cucina Aurora Kitchen Witchery Podcast, another very awesome episode today of Conversational Witchcraft. Today, we have the most incredible woman. Her name is Dawn Reno Langley. Yeah, another Dawn, so you know she's awesome. Uh, Dawn (laughs) Reno Langley is a writer, a theater critic, editor, writing coach, and educator who has devoted her life to social justice issues. After her first article published at the tender age of nine, questioned the likelihood of an attack on the U.S. soil during the Cuban Missile Crisis, she found her voice. Langley's novels such as The Silver Dolphin and The Morning Parade examine socially relevant topics like environmental issues. Her new book, You Are Divine, A Search for the Goddess in All of Us, discusses the role of female religious icons in contemporary life and how each woman embodies divine traits. This is so exciting. She holds an MFA from Vermont College, a PhD from the Union Institute and University, and is the president of Rewired Creatives, Inc. Do I call you Professor? Do I call you Dawn? I'm so excited to have you here. What do you prefer? Thank you. You can call me Dawn. I earned the Dr. Langley, but um, I'm not totally comfortable with that. <laughs> so you can call me Dawn. <laughs> I'm th- Dawn, thank you for being here. Thank you for spending thank a little bit of time. I'm like so amazed by you. I'm always amazed by people that are very scholastic. Um, I myself don't, I I have an associate's degree. I'm much more of a a hands-on learning person. I am not somebody that can learn um, in an academic um, environment very well. Um, And so I'm always impressed by people who have amazing higher education because I understand what you go through (laughs) to get those letters after your name. You know, my dad yeah, was. That's a- why I don't. I don't mind so much when someone wants to say, "Doctor, I don't mind," because it was a long time. <laughs> How long did it take you? Well, um, it took me four years. I was the first one to graduate from my uh, cohort. We went sort of in pods, you know, through yeah. the process. But uh, yeah, it took me four years. Everybody else, it took at least six. Yeah, uh, six to ten. It's a, it's a long, it's a long haul. Anyone who wants to pursue a PhD, it's, it's a lifetime of work and devotion. And I, I don't necessarily think that people realize the work and devotion that that takes. My father had a PhD in uh, counseling and sociology and, um, and, and he didn't get his PhD until he was, I, I mean, in his late fifties, early sixties. And I have a cousin who is pursuing her PhD in uh, art history, and it is no joke. So congratulations to you for you. for being awesome. Um, and and you have all of these books, and you do all of these things, and you're this amazing social justice warrior. And now you're coming out with this book on divine feminine energy and finding that within all women. I know I'm kind of starting, like, I like to learn people's journeys, you know, how, how did you get from the beginning to here? But I, I have to know how this came about. It really started way back in the very beginning when I started going to church. You know, we had a, mm. a church that was this big stone castle kind of place with those fantastic stained glass windows. And I spent a lot of time there. Mm. When we, I grew up in the projects. Um, and we moved when I was fairly young, uh, to a house that my grandmother owned and the church was at the bottom of the street. So Mm -hmm. I was down there for brownies, Girl Scouts, 
Sunday school, church, you name it. I played basketball there. And um, when I wanted to do the thing that I thought was so cool, which was to light the candles before the service on Sundays, I was told I couldn't because I wasn't a boy and only boys could be acolytes. So mm-hmm. that led me on a, a very deep questioning of everything that was religious in my life. And I did search a long time for something that spoke to what I thought was supposed to be justice for all, you know, mm-hmm. rather than a religion that um, blessed troops before they went into war. You know, I didn't see that as something that I saw in the Bible, even though the Israelites, I mean, it's just one thing after another, years and years went by, I found Buddhism, it spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And then I kept looking for that female face. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find one until I really dug and started looking at females in general as writers and as human beings and the female face. And that led deeper into goddesses and the philosophy. And it's just opened up a whole new world. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I grew up, um, you said you grew up in the projects. So I'm going to say New York because only people from New York say Boston. Boston. You were in the Boston project. Okay. So I grew up, I grew up out, uh, in New York. I'm not in the projects. I grew up out in on Long Island, but um, very similar, super religious, very Catholic, you know, and, and what do you have at growing up in that environment in terms of a female spiritual guide? You have the Virgin Mary, right? It's either- or- or the, whore. or the whore. So it's either you're the Virgin Mary or you're Mary Magdalene. These are the right. only two females you have to identify with, you know, and the way that the church talks about these women and, and how they're shown, when, whether it's statuary or stained glass, like you said, you don't see yourself in them. You never, I never, I never saw myself in either one of those, right. in either one of those right. women, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so at what point, so then you found Buddhism, right? How old were you when you were introduced to Buddhism? Uh, the first time I was probably early thirties. So between the time that I, I actually left the church. Um, when I got married the first time I married a Catholic man and the Protestant church said, we're not marrying you in your church. And I yep. had been there longer than the minister had. Yep. I had been inside that church and I thought, wait a minute, dude, you know, yeah. what about all the years I spent here? You know, I taught Sunday school. Yes. I, I did finally yes. become an acolyte, you know, and I can't do this. So um, then I started really searching. I became agnostic for a while. I didn't believe in anything. Uh, I knew there was something, some kind of power, but I believed it was energy. And still believe that. And then I connected with Jehovah's Witnesses. I wanted to see what they were all about. Wow. So I did, yeah, I did a couple of years of study with them and got out of there fast. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, I mean, seriously, it's it's scary in a lot of ways. They were good people, though. I can't say anything wrong about the people. I just question the way that they're the organization. Yeah. 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 And that is um, a little, I, a little I, extreme. Yep. And then a friend of mine in 
upstate New York, I had some really unusual experiences there, very metaphysical kind of things. And I studied charismatic religion with her at the same time that I was looking at uh, Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And, you know, it's like all this other stuff started opening up. And then uh, when I moved to Vermont, I still questioned everything and I started finding Buddhism. And that was probably 1986. Yeah. It's still, it's still my philosophy of choice, but I am always learning about uh, things that, um, that kind of don't quite balance with the divine feminine. Does that make sense? How do you mean? There are some goddesses in the Buddhist religion who are uh, very, very evil. Ooh. And it just, to me, it's kind of out of balance with Buddhism because Buddhism is all about seeing what's there, being in the moment accepting things as they are. And some of those goddesses are like nightmares. Mm. And to me, that just doesn't equate sometimes. You know, it's a very negative image. Yeah. Are there, and I I, I don't know much about Buddhism, um, except what most people know about Buddhism, you know, like the, the on the surface stuff and the mindfulness and, and all of that. Um, are there equally... Um, male deities that have those same negative connotations as well. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just like all the females are crazy bitches, but the males are cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that So at, at least all. at least there's balance there. Equal yeah, opportunity, exactly. uh, um, evil I'm gods. Just, I'm, I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, okay, I want to take this from here and that from there, and that's who I'll be. I think that's the beauty of, of um, I don't know, when I look at religion as a whole, I think the basis of all of those religions is the same, right? Yep, um, absolutely. Right, it's do no harm, treat others as you want to be treated, and like, it, for lack of a better term, don't be a dick. Like, just yeah. don't, don't be a dick to each other, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's it. But then you get into the organization of it, and then who's right. in charge of that organization. And once you have someone in charge of an organization, then you get othering happening and you have us and them and then you have a hierarchy of uh, people in control and the organization itself becomes what we see in organized religions you know uh, the hypocrisies and the rules and and the like I said the othering right um one of the things that drew me to the the as I'm going to use the word pagan I'm going to use the blanket of pagan um even though I say I'm I'm a kitchen witch and I do practice witchcraft. I'm not. I'm not just a witch because I do pull from all these different pantheons in terms of what I believe in and what deities I work with. But I think that one of the things that is so appealing about that spiritual path is that you can pull from everywhere. There is no rules, right? As someone who was born and raised in a very Catholic situation, it's mm-hmm. these are the rules. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. <laughs> you know, be good or you won't go to heaven. The end. <laughs> don't be, mm-hmm. you know, be a girl, but don't be girly. Don't you don't be sexual. Don't be outspoken. Don't be beautiful, but don't be ugly. Don't pull attention. All the don'ts. And then when you find this other world of, wait, I can be this way or that way, or I can believe in this, or I can pull from there, it opens up this world of possibilities in, in your spiritual self, is that an experience that you had? Yes, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I saw as I started, I mean, 
For years, I've done lots and lots of research about cultures and social constructs and all that stuff. But to to pull back the layers and to find out how many goddesses there have been through the centuries and how few I actually knew right. really, yeah, really kind of shocked me because I had done all this searching before through all of this, these other religions and saw very few female faces. So once I started learning about them and, and peeling back the, the onion layers and finding out that most of these goddesses existed from the beginning of time, mm-hmm. it's the male society, once they started building those rules and laws and started putting religion into a, a shape that it wasn't meant to fit into, mm. that's when all of the female goddesses kind of took the back seat. It wasn't a good idea to go out in the field at night and howl at the moon, you know, or to, to dance in the light. It was not only against the rules, but dangerous for your own life to, to try to use an herb to help somebody soothe a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it became through the years, and I'm preaching to the choir here, I'm sure, but through the years, hundreds of years, all of a sudden, women couldn't be doctors when yeah. they were the ones who did it from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. How fucked up is that? It's so fucked up that, that yeah. I, the idea that women, you know, what I practice mainly is kitchen witchery. So it is all about herbs and food and how ingredients are used not only to heal the body, but the spirit, you know, and, and that goes back to wise women in tribes and the doctors, right. the doctors or the healers, you know, that's where all of that comes from nurturing and, and caring about each other through what we learn in, mm-hmm. as, as women, as, as healers, as your, your instinct to help right? And there it was right. taken from you. And I can remember a class I took in college. Excuse me, there's a kitten over here. Can I help you? Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have two little black cats and they love to just uh, interrupt. They love to interrupt. But I can remember a class I took in college, which was one of my first, it was, it was, I was just talking about this to someone the other day. It was very um, pivotal, pivotal, for me in my spiritual journey, because I was like you, super involved in my church. I went mm-hmm. on like high school Catholic retreats mm-hmm. where like kids, girls were being asked to sign virginity cards. Okay. okay. Like you were, you were, everybody were given, given these cards and it was like, you're going to promise yourself to Jesus. And I was in, right. I was in this group of girls and everybody was like, I was like, I'm not going to sign that. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, listen, I'm not going to make a promise to the big guy. I'm not sure I can keep. So, you know, like the fact that the control of your sexuality, even in our time, the control of your sexuality, the, the control of oh, losing your power mm-hmm. as a woman in these subtle little ways that when you're brought up in it, you don't even realize. But I, I digress. I took a class in college first semester of college, it was called Women in Religion. It was an elective. And I was like, oh, this would be super easy. The Women in Religion class would just, you know, show up and take this class. And I was so rattled by what the teacher was saying about matriarchal societies, goddesses, showing us slides of like goddess sculptures that go back to the beginning of time, like you said, that I was so messed up about this, I dropped the class, but I kept the textbook. 
And I read the book on my own and I was like, this makes so much sense. And that was kind of like my aha moment into going, wait, there are other non-Christian based spiritual paths out there. A lot. I mean, you don't know if you grow up in that bubble, you don't know that exists. Right. Right. You're right. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't know. And then you start seeing those things and then you can't unsee them and you see goddess everywhere, whether you're identifying with one or many or working mm-hmm. with one or many. I, I just think, I think it's amazing. Where, where were you finding these, the, the, first, the first time you were introduced to goddess spirituality? Um, can you remember which particular goddess it was that kind of was that light bulb moment for you? Saraswati. Really? It was in yoga class. Yeah, it was in yoga class. And I've done yoga my whole life, but I never really, I never had teachers or gurus who uh, taught any goddess spirituality. They were all about the yoga, but not about where it came from. Wow. They were all about, you know, this is what your body does, but not about the spirituality of yoga. Wow. And yoga is really heavily based in the Hindu religion who has lots and lots of goddesses. Powerful, so she was um, amazing goddesses yeah, in Hindu culture. Yes. Yeah. So I went to this special workshop with the woman that I was taking yoga from and it was all about uh education and learning and creativity. And she really told us all about Saraswati. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know this goddess existed, I started doing some research and loved everything she stands for mm. and felt like, wow, that that is somebody who speaks to who I am at this point in my life. So I started looking a little bit deeper and found, uh, I was just like, don't let me go down this rabbit hole because there's <laughs> lots and lots and lots of things and I want to chase them all. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know everything. Yeah. So the irony you'll appreciate this, is I did most of my research at Duke University's Divinity Library. Wow. And almost, I will say probably 99% of the books that I used for research, the only ones that I could find on the Divine Feminine, were written by men. Of course. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I want to see what the difference is because I'm used to I'm used to doing research about the way people write. I did my MFA research on women authors and how they wrote uh, both privately and publicly, you know, people who kept journals versus the ones who, and who, you know, use different tones and languages. And with my PhD, it's about transgender authors and whether their voice changes when they make their transition. So with, with that in mind, you know, naturally I brought all of that stuff to this research. And I, I was like, I, I can't believe I haven't come across much of this at all. And then when I started asking the women who responded, who were the bulk of my research about, you know, how it affects other women, and do you see the female face in your religion? And that just opened my eyes even more because I made it a point. Um, and you'll, if you read the book, you'll, you'll be able to see it. All of the women that I interviewed I wanted to interview in different philosophies. So you're not going to, it's not just Christian women in this book. It's not just Jewish. It's Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, uh, Hindu, Native American, uh, and Earth. Uh, There's just everybody in there because I wanted to know all the stories that haven't been told and still haven't been told. There's a, 
there's a term that I used in the first draft of this book that through the drafts and through the the conversations about, you know, what your theme is going to be for this book and how you, you want it to reach your audience. We took the term out for the most part. It's still in there, but it's women's Holocaust. Have you ever heard that term? No. Think about it. Throughout of, all of history, all of history, how many women have been killed just for the fact that they were female? Too many? Yeah. We're talking more than any war. Millions and millions and millions yeah. of women yeah. just because they're women, 100%. And yet, you know, even in a book like this, we're too afraid to approach that kind of a hot topic because that means that, oh, wow, there's going to be a lot of people who are pissed off about that. And we're still too afraid to piss anybody off. It's because we're women and we've been taught over centuries, keep your head down, be nice, smile, protect protect everybody else, smooth everything over, don't stand up for yourself, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And to use that that term is, I think you need the strong term. You need that word. Most people don't want to say the word Holocaust. You wouldn't want to say the the female Holocaust or the, or the women's Holocaust because it's so loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. so loaded, and it you can't look away from a word like that. It makes you stop. It makes you think, and people don't want to think about something like that. And they certainly don't want to admit, men don't necessarily want to admit those things have happened. Women don't either. Women don't either. Do you think that we as women have, I mean, I, this is maybe, maybe not the right thing to say, but I believe that we always have a participation in the way we are treated. One of the reasons I wrote this is so that we could see ourselves as strong we could see ourselves in the goddesses and know that you know every attribute that they had is something that we can have too or we can align with mm-hmm. or aspire to and if we do that for ourselves then we can see that i can see that you're doing it and that somebody else is doing it i'm going to respect you mm-hmm. and you know we respect ourselves mm-hmm. and we respect all the other women around us mm-hmm. Uh, you can't let anything else happen. You know, you, you do right. take control, but you do say, well, maybe no, I don't want that. Or yeah, yeah, not yeah. maybe at all, just damn right no. Damn right. No. The, right. One of the most empowering things anyone ever said to me is no is a complete sentence. Yep. And we do not, I think as women, we're always justifying, right? No, I can't. No, because no. Oh, I'm so sorry. No. And and although we're not talking about these, you know, huge things, you know, it just as as simple of an act as maybe I don't like my meal at a restaurant and I, I'm going to re- return that meal at a restaurant. No, no, it's it's fine. I'm sorry. Is it okay? <laughs> Versus a man might apro- approach that situation completely different and say, excuse me, I'd like to send my meal back. It didn't come out right. A woman is going to say, excuse me, um, I'm sorry. Would it be okay if... And there's always that air of apology. And so we automatically take this... If we take that kind of passive, meek role in something as simple as standing up for ourselves because we don't like the food on our plate, how could we possibly be empowered to stand up for ourselves in heavy situations? And how could we possibly stand up for other women in heavy situations? Right. 
Right. So like considering the past few years in the Me Too movement, um, and obviously this is exactly what we're talking about, you know, the continued battle for for women's rights. What are you hoping people are going to get out of this book? I'm hoping that they're going to come away feeling like they have more power. The right to say no, the right to walk away. I'll tell you, I have been through a lot of shit in my life. Yeah. Um, I went through a very abusive marriage um, to the point where we had to have the cops at the house on a regular basis. Mm. I mean, you know, loaded shotguns. He was going to kill people. He ended up being put in jail a couple of times. Anyways, the um, court system did nothing to me. There was one day that we had in court where he literally told the lieutenant of the police department, who was my witness, that he was going to kill him before we walked out of court. They let him walk out of court. Now, years passed, and I had an unfortunate circumstance where I went out with somebody who found out where I lived and started stalking me. This is not too long ago. And when I went to the police department and told them about it, they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we can't do anything because he hasn't done anything to you. Yep. And I said, so things haven't changed since the 70s. Nope. So what are you going to do? Wait for him to kill me? And he, the guy stopped, the cops stopped. And five minutes later, he said, I'm going to send somebody to sit outside the house for the next couple of days. So what do you have to do? You have to shame them into doing something. Yep. I, and to think that we're in 2022... And that's still a conversation that you have to have that goes back to what we were talking about before about the organizations and who's in charge and the othering of women. I was having this conversation with uh, my, my cousin, the PhD candidate. Uh, we were talking, she's studying specifically um, women in art and um, women as uh, owners of museums, which is brilliant hmm. because mu- the, the idea... Not to, we could we could totally cut this part out, but I think you'd find it interesting. She, um, the modern structure of a museum is something that men put in place, but women at the turn of the century in the Victorian era were, and if she hears this, she's going to be like, you totally got that wrong. But it's <laughs> that women, like if you think about Isabella Stewart Gardner, she built her home to house her collection. And at right. some point- that became a museum and not a home collection because of this organization of men trying to monetize who got to see art, Mm -hmm. right? So it was only wealthy white men who got to see art or put art in their homes. So she's, she's studying that. And we were having this whole conversation about the othering of women and how women have been put in this, you know, women's rights. We're human beings, you know, just like people of color. These are human beings. They're not other. Mm-hmm. Trans people, they're people. They're not other. We're all the fucking same and we all deserve to live in a world where we feel safe and seen. Mm-hmm. And to think in a situation like that, where you're going to the cops and you're like, I am afraid for my life. And they're like, me, me. Because you are a woman. If a dismissed. man dismissed, if a white cis man walked in there and said, I think somebody's following me, they would be like, Great, no problem. We'll we'll, we'll see what's going on, bro. We'll we'll see how we can help you. They'd be out the door, lock and load. Yeah. It is insane to think that that is the truth of where we are 
now and today, right? So, so how does the work that you're doing with, you know, finding the divine feminine in the world and within ourselves, how does that translate into the female empowerment? How does that translate into standing up for ourselves and others? Like, what is it about that that can help us to see that? I think I'm going to go back to my first days in college when I actually was in my doctoral program. We did some work with Jacques Lacan, who talks about how we envision ourselves, the self, from day one as babies. We look in this mirror and we recognize that face, you know, so. I might look at your face. You might be my mother. I recognize that face. So I see that face as trusting and so forth. And I think we carry that throughout our lives, but we don't see that face as, how can I put this? Um, that, that other, that self that we see is something that society reconstructs mm. after that initial mirror image. Mm-hmm. Society tells you who you are, and that might not have been who you originally saw in that mirror as a baby or the face that you saw. You know, the first mirror image that we see is in eyes. It's usually your mother's eyes. You see yourself in your mother's eyes. Ooh, that's loaded, Dawn. Yeah, well, it's true. It's true. That's loaded because then it comes down to early childhood development, right? Absolutely. And how we see ourselves as children, as girl children. Are we, what do we learn from our parents about the roles of mm-hmm. mom and dad, older mm-hmm. sibling, brother, sister? And how do we see those, how do we take on those characteristics or those behaviors as to what we think we are, right? And how much are you being taught by society about? goddesses about the female role in philosophy or religion you know most of the religions of the world are run by men yeah you know there are very few female-based religions or very few religions where the the women actually play a pivotal decision role yeah Um, and until that changes it's actually not changing it's going back to the way it used to be ages and ages ago you know Right. We had it right. We had it right. And then some guy came in. I'm not sure it's totally right, but it certainly is a whole lot better than right now. Right. Some guy came in and was like, no, I can't let those girls be in charge because they know more than me and I have a fragile ego. So I'm going to change the structure of everything to keep them in their place. Now, what automatically is the, the thing that drives all of cultural change is money. It's economy. And, you know, the the church figured out that they can take this plot of land and have some people on it and they can control the land. And they used the religious philosophy to do that. And they were the ones who were the big landowners in Europe and actually in some many other cultures as well. Yeah. So then as we see today, those tides turning with women being so much in the workforce, with women being executives and doctors and PhDs and educators and putting out work and doing those sort of things, do you feel that culturally that change is happening, albeit nowhere near as fast as we'd like it to? I would like to say yes. Um, You say we're leaders in education. We are the first educators in every home. 
the women are the first educators. We teach the kids how to talk, how to walk, how to eat, you know? Um, so that's always been one of our roles. Caretakers always been one of our roles, but it's always been that those roles have been looked down upon as lesser than mm-hmm. or not strong. Um, and even though I do see some women moving into leadership roles, I think it's, uh, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a long time for us to get to the point where I think it, it happens faster with us individually. You know, women tend to, to get the self-help books and to go to classes and to yeah, do all that To stuff, better ourselves, you know? right? To take yeah. responsibility. Um, yeah. I, I want to touch on something you just said about women being the first educators and mm-hmm. teaching the children how to eat and dress and all of those things. And, and I, I try to figure out how to phrase this in a way. Um, and that those roles are often looked down upon, right? Oh, she's just a stay at home mom. Oh, she's just this. She's just that. Oh, well, she doesn't work. She gets to stay home, right? Now, I myself do not have human babies. I have fur babies and I have a company, which is my baby. And I have employees, which I nurture and care for. Um, but A, I think it's really important that you pointed out that those home jobs are often frowned upon, even by the women who are doing them. Yep. In the late 70s and early 80s, when there was that big drive to put women into the workforce and women left the home, right? And you had, you know, two incomes happening. um, There was this, and I think there still is, this feeling that as women you can have it all. You can be a great mom and you can be have a great career and you can have this and, and the perfect body and you can have the perfect home and the perfect marriage. You can have all these things that are perfect, perfect, perfect. Never saying whether or not you should, right? Because or that there's enough hours in the day to do that or that you're not going to kill yourself trying. Exactly. The pressure of that. And people look at that and might say, oh, but that's feminism is that you can have everything. And I say feminism is you can have what you want. You can right. be who you are. And if who you are is who you want to be is being the best stay-at-home mom and you know making Pinterest alligators with your babies, do it and be proud of it. There's no shame in taking a traditional gender role. It might not be for me, but there's no shame in that. How do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts on the word feminism and how people react to that word even today? I think feminism has gotten a bad rap. I mean, I think it's become a negative word. And I can remember back when the word started, I just, I decided it was humanism, not feminism, because, you know, feminism is, is, we're better than, but we're actually just striving to be equal to. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's humanism, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, feminism has gotten a bad rap. And I think it's because people saw it as an either or rather than, you know, wait a minute, let us catch up with everything that's been given to you all these years and let us have a say on what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whom and how. You know, right? Why is that um, so I think hard? That the, yeah, exactly. Looking at the one of the basic goddesses that every single religion has is Mother Nature. She might be called Gaia, she might be called something else somewhere else, but Mother Nature—that that birthing 
being that is responsible for the beginning of earth and the care of it to me Mm -hmm. is the one that, you know, people just kind of laugh at. It's become iconic rather than, no, this is, this is a being that we can celebrate and that we can be part of and we can be proud of being a homemaker or a person who can give birth or who likes to care for other people right. or who has those skills. Yeah. Those are powerful skills. Damn it. You know, I, I would like somebody who has those skills to run the country. Yes. Yes. <laughs> someone who has a, a nurturing side, someone who cares about more than themselves. And I don't, I, I don't think that, and maybe this is not, um, I mean, I know lots of men that have those qualities and oh, when I talk about the divine masculine in here too, it's just that we get, we have given enough voice to that over the yes. years that this voice has to be louder 100%. in order to be heard for all the years that we weren't. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I also think that that's a disservice to like the, the, the disservice of othering women and putting those, those terms, making those terms negative, you know, that idea of being a caregiver and being tender and being emotional, it really hurts men. You know, yeah. it really hurts men that they are brought up that they're not allowed to do those things. They're not allowed to be pa- compassionate and they're not allowed to be soft and gentle and nurturing. And I, I think that that is, it's not just a female issue. It, those, that othering has hurt them as well. And that's, I think that's real. I think that's really sad too, you know? Um, it is, absolutely. I, I think that's really, really sad. Um, Oh God, I have so many, like, I've been taking notes as you're talking about so many things I want to talk about. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk, really get in depth with the book. And um, I have a couple questions about, about that as well. So let's take a quick break and let's hear from our amazing sponsors. And we'll be right back with Dawn Reno Langley. This is amazing. We'll be right back. Guys, I have just got to tell you about the Robin's Nest. If you're unfamiliar with the Robin's Nest, let me tell you a little bit about one of my favorite shops. This is a full-service premier metaphysical shop here in New England. They offer everything from gifts to custom-made crafted potions and wares, magical and ritual items, divination materials, candles, crystals, uh, spiritually designed clothing, uh, ritual wear, books, incense, tarot, oracle decks, and most of all, more importantly, they offer friendship, creativity, and community. Uh, This shop is owned by one of my favorite people in the world, Robbie Packard, um, and she is a high priestess. She is helping foster a thriving pagan community with kindness and compassion. She is just the most amazing person, and her shop and everything in it reflects her love of community and craft. You will not find a more welcoming space to learn, to grow in your spiritual practice. Everything the Robin's Nest does is within intention of love and bringing community together. Although the shop is located in Bellingham, Massachusetts, you can find them online at therobinsnestma.com. That's therobinsnestma.com. They're offering tons of online rituals, uh, workshops, classes, 
tons of stuff to get you involved, to broaden your mind and help you on your spiritual journey. Uh, check them out, therobinsnestma.com. You will not be sorry that you did. Okay, guys, we're always talking about different kinds of readings and divination on this program, but I want to tell you guys a little bit about Sam Balea. Uh, He's an astrologer with over 15 years of experience um, in readings and divination and healing, all kinds of great stuff. And he is offering right now one-on-one consultation sessions uh, of, of his astrology work. He's known for his daily horoscopes, instructional videos, and he really aims to encourage partnership with the natural forces of our world. Uh, so his style of reading in astrology is very accessible, very knowledgeable. He's an amazing astrologer, can really give you a well-rounded reading so you can get to know your chart and what the stars have to say for you. Check out Sambalea and book a reading today at sambalea.com. That's S-A-M-B-E-L-Y-E-A.com. And you can check him out, follow his daily astrology postings and his daily horoscopes at sambalea.92 on Facebook and on Instagram at sambalea333. And of course, on Twitter at Scorpio Rising. S as in Sam, B as in Balea. Check out Sam Balea, book a reading, get your chart done. You will not be sorry. We are back with the astoundingly amazing uh, Dawn Reno Langley. And I'm just, I'm digging this conversation so much because most of my guests are witches and we talk about witchcraft, right? So this is so great because I'm really passionate about everything that you're talking about and about goddess spirituality and how it relates to the way we walk through the world as feminists, as women, as human beings, and what it has to do within our society, right? So let's dive into your new book, which is You Are Divine. And So you had said that you interviewed all these amazing people from all these different walks of faith, if if we can use that word faith. What kinds of questions did you ask them? Oh, goodness. I asked everybody if they knew of the Women's Holocaust. Nobody did, um, which was really funny. I asked them to tell me about their religious, spiritual journey mm-hmm. um, and what faces they saw in that spiritual journey. Um, I asked them to tell me uh, who were the caretakers that they knew. Mm. Um, uh, what else? But I had a list of questions, which I could have right here. But um, we talked about the treatment of women as a whole and about societies and what happened within their society and their families. And the, the questions about their families and how their families dealt with religious events. Um, really was very eye-opening because I would say, I I hate to say 100%, maybe 99% of the women that I interviewed um, had questioned their religion at some point, you know, whether they stayed in it, uh, you know, and and accepted the answers they got or whether they moved on and explored something else. Most of them had some kind of 
shift in their spirituality, which I found fascinating. Is that very human? I think so. I think we all question that which we can't see. And even though most of the, a lot of the goddesses were um, human, mm-hmm. you know, and they just became goddesses, you know, not all of them by mm-hmm. a long shot, but um, you can't help but look at a goddess and see an image that you recognize, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. somebody who might be on the street. Whereas a lot of the, the gods, uh, I don't think I'd recognize God walking down the street. He looks I don't like know Santa. what he looks like. Looks like Santa. <laughs> You know that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, right, right. Well, the the god, the traditional god that I was brought up with in the Catholic Church is Zeus, is Odin. He's huh. he's a big, burly man with a white beard who sees everything and knows everything you're doing. So he's Santa, basically, right? Like that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that that image of that the beard, the white beard, burly guy lives in the sky, father figure. You know, he's he's Zeus, he's Odin, he's he Moses. sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you well, Santa is based, you know, the traditional images of Santa Claus are based off of Odin, the All Father. You know, yeah. that's this is where yeah. all this shit, it's all the same shit, and then we just put different names on it and different inflections on it so that we as human beings can identify with it, right? We we. Mm-hmm. We want to find the human face we want to in the supernatural. Yeah. Yes, and we and that's in in my upbringing, right? It was God created man, not women, but God created humans in His image. But the truth is, humans created gods in their image. And what I love about so many of of the other, you know, uh, polytheistic traditions is that these gods and goddesses are flawed just like us so we yeah, look exactly. at right we look at them and we go oh yeah persephone is kind of a mess isn't she like we just yeah. we we get her you know we get her so much but you just, you but just need some anger management training right right um but uh, we, we digress i wanted to know as you were talking about their spirituality and, and these things uh, how do you as a scholastic person, as an academic, because you you really have been in the world of academia, you teach and you write and, and you do all these things. Also, as a tangent, we definitely need to talk about your theater critic status because I'm a giant theater nerd. Okay. So okay. <laughs> um, how do you, as someone who is in this scholastic and academic world, how does the spiritual part, the unseen belief, the faith part fit on you? I know sometimes people that are very scientific or very um, academic have a hard time connecting with the unseen or the unexplainable. Has that been something for you that I was am, a struggle? I am not a scientist. Uh, maybe social justice might be considered a science by some, but I am not a scientist. I am a writer and I love the stories and, you know, those stories, every single one of those people has a story. Yeah. And we as human beings, that's how we understand what's going on around us. We tell stories. So that, to me, I think is what fascinates me more than anything else. Do I believe all the stories? No. But if you tell me about a Japanese girl who was born into a poor family and she lived in the mountains and she healed her whole village with this magical I'm going to believe that, you know, it may be a little bit hyped up, but that ends up being a goddess and 
she just happened to be, this was a story that was passed down through the centuries. And you know, they all get embellished. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, everybody changes something. Right. But, but like you said, you see yourself me, in that, in that story. Yep, I do. I do. And you know, when you, when you have cultures, the, basically the way you build a culture is by marking down the stories of your culture, you know, the stories of the family and the community and uh, how you understand what's happening up in the stars or, right. you know, where those big whales are coming from under the ocean you know that's all stories we tell us to help us understand yeah so to me it's history literature philosophy mm-hmm. it's all those sciences which you can't really explain and you can't quantify right right do you believe in them i guess that's called faith oh i love that so much i love that so much and so as you're writing this book and as you're interviewing all these people and you're exploring their faith and their stories, right? Was there anything in particular, one interview, one story that really surprised or, and or inspired you? Several. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, you know, several of these women I knew before I interviewed them. Oh, wow. And um, one of them is a Baha'i. She's a particularly good friend of mine. And I'm going to say this only because it adds to the story. She's African-American. And she and I grew up um, about an hour away from each other. We didn't know each other growing up, but we came to be really, really best friends. And she was telling me as a Baha'i, you know, how she views women in her religious structure and what she saw as female role models growing up. Uh, She said Aunt Jemima was a female face that she saw growing up that she I won't say twisted, but she understood that it was a negative image. Right. Uh, and I understood that too, because I wrote a book on advertising and I've re- written on African-American arts and collectibles and done all the research. And I know everything that that represents. So I was shocked when she said that. And she, we sat down and we had a conversation in our house, must've lasted two hours Wow. about how that particular role model, the woman that took care of the house that was, you know, the cook and the caretaker and the the one who nursed the babies, that was a positive role model for her. Um, And she said that, you know, that to her was compassion. And that to her was, you know, somebody with a heart. She didn't see the fact that the woman was more often than not being forced into that situation, that she didn't have the opportunity to have an education, that she probably was, you know, being abused at some point or another, she just saw that that was a compassionate figure. And that was a face that she saw that looked like hers. The only one. So she, she made it what she needed that to be. She turned that very inappropriate advertising into what she needed to see because it was the only face like hers that she saw. Yeah. And she knew that. She knew that. And to this day, she keeps salt and pepper shakers. I think she's got a cookie jar. You walk into her house and there's a couple of Aunt Jemima's in there. Wow. So, yeah. W- that is surprising. But yeah. she finds but comfort in that image. That's a woman taking control over something that's negative and turning it into a positive. Right, right. It, and so she fa- she has this image that for her symbolizes compassion and comfort and home and all of these things that she she put into that she mm-hmm. turned that because as a little girl she didn't know that was negative right she 
she just went, oh, look, there's someone that looks like me that I'm going to, this is, this is the, the, the goddess, the figure that I need. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I, I would imagine that was really very surprising for you. To it hear. was. It was really surprising. And that's why we had a very long conversation about it. I mean, I've been very lucky to, to have uh, friends and family members who have shared with me their experiences. And that was one that I felt was unexpected. You know, and, and talking about women in the media and how women are portrayed and, and um, what we see as little girls and what we see as adult women, you know, something for me that has always been um, missing, right? I'm, I'm a cisgender white female who grew up in New York, but I'm fat and there aren't fat girls on TV. There aren't mm-hmm. fat girls in movies. There aren't fat girls in love stories. We're always portrayed as the plucky best friend or, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not sexual. We're not beautiful, you know. Um, so that is like, I've, I'm finally seeing some of that representation. I mean, there's a couple of shows on that, that feature plus size women. Um, you can't even say the word fat without people going, oh, you're not fat. Like, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is what it is. Like, and and that's something too that in and I don't want to say modern witchcraft, but if you buy a tarot a, a tarot deck or an oracle deck of goddess cards, the only chubby women are the pregnant goddesses. Really? You you don't see you might see curves, but you don't see you don't see anyone who's over a size ten. Let's just be realistic. If you were to look at modern pagan art, modern witchcraft art. Most of the things that are going to be on the service, most of the things that are in your mainstream, covers of books that show goddesses, covers of tarot decks that show goddesses are all beautiful, tall, slender women. Most women and it's, don't. It's ironic. It's ironic because the earliest representations of those goddesses, you know, stone carvings and so forth. We're all very lush, full-figured mm-hmm. women. Absolutely. Right. You so, did not see anyone. So there's another example of how media, how we portray ourselves, what is considered beautiful as the female form, even in these little, these little niche areas. I have a friend who did a beautiful um, oracle deck, and the first version of the oracle deck was all... It was, you know, it's like witches and cats and cutie little art. And she realized she left out people of color. Yeah. And they went back and did the deck over again. And they added women of color into this deck. There's still no one chubby in there. You know, I, I don't necessarily know if we see, if people see women that way, even though that's what we look like. You know, so you get into all these layers of different kinds of women, different body types of women. I know that you've done a lot of research um, in, in on transgendered uh, women. Um, I don't know if you've done the research as well on transgender men, but I would assume that 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 you have. Um, I love that in the description of your book it says this is for anyone who identifies as a woman. How important yep. is that to you and to this work for you? I think it's vitally important. I think that, you know, we were talking about othering before. And if I say this is just, you know, this is just for people who look like you and me, then we're othering everybody else. But we talk about, I mean, you know, divine female qualities are not just in people who are born female. You know, they're in everybody. 
just like the divine masculine is, you know, it's a balance. It's a yin yang. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I I tease, but I, I really believe it's true that men tend to adopt the characteristics that we attribute to females as we get older. And women tend to gather the attributes of men as we get older, you know, women become stronger when men become more likely to cry, you know, and I'm being very general here because I know plenty of men who are younger, who uh, have no problem with their emotions. I I would love for you to expand, expand more on that um, in terms of as we get older. Yeah. I see a lot of, you know, I'm I'm to the age right now where a lot of my friends are uh, settling into their years where they're, they're just, they're not going to change, you know, that this is the way it is. And most of the women that I know, and I'm being general, I'm saying my friends uh, are quite happy being alone. They don't really want to be with a man because then it means somebody to take care of or something. They don't see the good stuff about being with somebody. You know, they're just stuck with that sucks. I'm never going to do that again. Whereas the men that I know, are so, and I'm talking about my age group, um, so into, I got to find somebody right away. You know, I, I got to find somebody. Gotta, gotta, gotta. Yeah. That they just, I mean, dude, don't you have a life? <laughs> well, I think there's something to be said about that. And and if I don't generally talk about my mother, um, and so this is very much of a, a, a diversion for me, but when my father passed away, my mother had all of her girlfriends around her and she had her sisters and she made friends and the widows have become a family for her. Women take care of women. I think it's part of who we are. I think that nurturing element, we support each other and we lift each other up. I think that it is unfortunate that men don't generally take care of each other in those ways. You don't generally see a bunch of men bringing over food to someone whose wife just passed away. You don't see them going, hey, let's get you out of the house. Let's go get a glass of wine. You know, like, let's go. Well, they might do that. They might do that. Right, they, they might go out here. But not with the, at least in my, my, my experience in, in my age group and in the observation of seeing my mother and her friends, there's, there's a community that women create around each other that I don't think men create around you. They might have one close friend or two close friends, but they don't have that support group of like, like these girls are going to ride or die. They're going to come pick you up. They're going to go do this. They're going to do, these girls are going to take care of you for the long haul. Not the immediate, you need something right now, bro. Let me know if you need something, you know, they're going to be there the whole time. And I think it's unfortunate because we don't see that as often in men. They don't form emotional bonds like that in the same way that women tend to do. Um, would you would you agree or disagree? I agree, but I also have had relationships with men who are really great caretakers, mm. sometimes better than females. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there's, there's something on both sides of that statement. Um, I do believe that women are the ones who form the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that again has been changing due to the fact that most women work, but now we're we're back home again. So it's like, wait a minute. Right. I, I tried to get out of this house so I wouldn't have to cook dinner every right. night. Now I'm back home cooking dinner and taking care of the kids. What happened? So 
um, I think whoever is the caretaker ends up being the one who doesn't take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's male or female, but they're also the ones who have the communities because they're the ones who are taking care of the kids, getting right. them off to school, talking to them about, you know, and usually you, you have relationships with other kids, parents. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a normal nuclear family, mm-hmm. then one person is usually the major caretaker and the other one is not as much. I don't know any family that is half and half. Oh yeah. Pure down the middle, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, one person is always doing a little bit more. Oh yeah, for sure. But for sure. The, the point that I'm going circular here, the point that I'm trying to make is that way back in the day, um, and this was brought to mind by a play that I covered um, about uh the clothesline community, you know, back in the day when women used to, and this was mostly slaves, they used to do the wash and they would be out there hanging it up, talking about anything that went on in the household. So they had this whole community, you know, uh, Johnny had a stomach ache the other day. I don't know what to do with them. And this person over here says, I got some spearmint. Let me give it to you. Make a tea, blah, 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 blah. Or, um, you know, my kid came home with, uh, a math book, and I have no idea how to read it. Well, maybe I can help you with that, or so and so. I mean, it's all the stuff the news was passed, you know, if somebody died or had a baby, whatever, all of that stuff was passed over the clothesline, and the people hanging the clothes were female, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. every culture, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. men didn't do the laundry. <laughs> Thank God that has changed because I don't, <laughs> my husband does the laundry. Thank goodness. Um, no, but 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 you're you're 100 right. Women form those networks of communication, networks of, um, you know, that the old term of it takes a village, right? Well, mostly it was the women doing the caretaking, um, right? And and I, you know, you hate to generalize those traditional, typical gender roles of the men are away doing, you know, the hunting gathering part, and the women are back home taking care of family and nurturing and and keeping the space. It is difficult to separate that out from our lives today because there are still elements of that. And if we want to get back to what we were talking about before, all of that's okay if that's what you choose, right? Right. Um, the, the thing is, is we need to change our perspective on it. Right. It's not that, you know, whether it's maintained in your household or not, it doesn't really matter. It's how you look on it. You know, mm-hmm. how do you think that taking care of children is something that we give to the stupidest people on earth, you know, here, take care of my kid. You know, I don't want to see it till it's 17. Or do we give it the baby, the child to someone we, we trust with our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a pretty freaking important job. Absolutely. You know? and I never heard it put that way before, but it's true. Like, are we giving the, the future of our families, the future of our societies to the stupidest people? Or are we giving them to the people who can educate them and teach them compassion and, and care and sort of those sort of things. I've never, I've never heard it put that way. Why isn't that job just as important right. as CEO of a corporation? Right, right, right. And what you choose, right? Why am I made to feel less of a woman because I don't have children? And why right. does everybody think it's okay to ask me why I don't have children? This happens all the time. To me. I know. I'll I know. be I'll be out somewhere at a trade show, you know, like working my company and 
you know, be like, oh, this is my company. I own this company and blah, blah, blah. And people will be, and it's almost always women who are like, well, don't you, don't you have kids? And I'm like, no, why? Don't you want them? No, I don't. I don't. And, and it's not, it's none of your fucking business why I don't have children, but the idea of somehow that I'm less of a woman because I do not have biological babies. This all comes back to respecting yourself. Make right. sure you respect us. Right. Too. I have a, a nephew who is adopted. Is his mother less of a woman because she adopted a child instead of gave birth? No. You know, I, I, there's so many, oh my goodness, there's so many layers. And I think that ties directly back into, Dawn, the work that you're doing in terms of this goddess work. The thought of just, I've been doing a lot of work with the goddess Bridget lately because of the season that we're in and the hearth and home and it was just in bulk. And so I've been working with her quite a bit lately. And she is the goddess that keeps the home fire burning. She is this, this beautiful symbol of, of caretaking and strength and, you know, again, that warmth to me, that's who she is, you know, the transformative fires of being able to take care of your family by turning raw ingredients into edible food, right? That's what she's doing. And if I see myself in her and her in me, then the idea of being home and cooking and taking care of my family is divine. It's not something to poo-poo. And I think that's why the work that you're doing and this book, You Are Divine, is so important because it literally rewrites the way we think about ourselves as women. I mean, you, you blow my mind. I'm just, now I'm like going to be your biggest fan and I'm going to stalk you on Facebook. And well, thank you. You can. I'm, you. I'm totally good. Can you tell us where to find you, Dawn, and where to find your book? This episode is probably not going to air until May or June, um, even though we're recording it in the winter. Um, it's probably not going to air for a little while. So tell us where we can find your book, where we can find you online, uh, how we can follow you and learn more about you. Okay. Well, you can find the book at any bookstore. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever, um, or on Llewellyn site. Um, you can find me online. It's I'm difficult to hide. It's DawnRenoLangley.net. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I do regular meditations every day on oh. TikTok. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm all over the place. Absolutely. And I can I close with a quote for you? Oh, please. And then, and then I have to ask you one question, which is my, okay. my, my question I ask all of my guests. So let's hear a quote right. from the book. I do want to share this. Robin Rumi is um, a writer and educator, and she studies philosophical differences. And this one really spoke to me. All women are a re reflection, a mirror of the goddess. Remember, you are the universe figuring itself out. So, of course, you are identical to the female aspect of the divinity. Wow. You're the universe figuring itself out. I love I that. I love that. I love it. And we all are, aren't we? We're yeah. all just doing our best, figuring stuff out. And I, the beauty of that to me is that we never get there. That's right. The journey is the point. You'll mm -hmm. never be finished figuring it out. You'll always be learning. You'll always be finding new parts of yourself and new parts of other women and learning from them. Right. What a beautiful, beautiful quote. I am just, I feel all warm and squishy inside. Yay. <laughs> That's kind of the point, right? Like you bolstered, yeah. bolstered that, that feeling of, I don't know, divinity, but also peace, 
right? To feel peaceful Good. within yourself, um, I think is is part of this work of finding the divine in, in all of us. Um, wow. You Are Divine by Dawn Reno Langley. I am just so excited for you. Uh, I think this is going to be, I think people are really, really going to resonate with it. And um, okay, one more question, completely random, has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. I ask this to all of my guests at the end of the show. I am a kitchen witch, which means the way I practice my energy work and the way I practice my my religion is through feeding others, uh, working with food to create um, energy and, uh, you know, joy and, and all these wonderful things with intention and love. So if I, as a kitchen witch, was to create, to cook for you one magical meal, what would that meal be and why? Hmm. I would think a very delicious tea and some kind of a pie because I love dessert. And I think that tea is the best place where you can put a lot of wonderfully fragrant herbs and spices. And there's nothing like a hot cup of tea or in your hands. That to me is like, gets all the senses going. So, so that's what I'd like. I would love because you are so grounded in feminine energy and you're so full of goddess energy. And that's all root chakra and all sacral chakra. I would love to make you some sort of a a, a berry pie, something with raspberries and cherries and, and all those beautiful reds to symbolize womb and motherhood and womanhood. And then I would pair it with a hibiscus and pomegranate tea. Ooh. Does, does that so sound cool. right? Oh, yeah. That sounds wonderful. I, so I write down, I, I, I get these, I ask my guests about what they would want, and then I'll get inspired to write a recipe. And I'll put it ah, on. Cool. I'll put it on my site. Um, yes, cherries and berries pie, right? And we could eat it in a red tent, and it would be just all this wonderful goddess energy. <laughs> it would be so good. Uh, Dawn Reno Langley, you are divine. Well, you, thank you. You really are. You you just you're amazing, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some time with me today. This was a real treat. It was. Um, just eye-opening and wonderful. And I think our listeners are really going to love it. Thank you so much for being here. We will look forward to your book. Oh, and uh, until next time, everyone, I leave you with many blessings and so much gratitude. Thanks for being here. Mm